0: Let's grab our Bibles. I will do my best to preach a sermonette, so we better pray. Father, just thank you for just the testimonies that have been shared of what you're doing in the hearts of young people. And I pray that there'd be many, many seeds that were sown over the Friday and the Saturday that would not remain seeds, but they'd go deep and that they would bear fruit for your glory. And Lord, this morning as we turn to your scriptures, I ask that you'd help us, help me, give us clarity. Let us hear your heartbeat and as Adam already said, let us make room for you. For this moment is not about us, but it's about what you desire to say to us. Give us listening ears, give us a receptive heart to respond, to grab a hold of your word and may it go deep in our hearts today. For the glory of your name, King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. And I know you're probably... Who was already turning to the book of James? You are thinking we're heading there? A few of us are, of course, preaching through that wonderful book. And I think in the interest of time, it's a good thing that I'm not trying to fit a whole sermon there into our remaining time. But I felt this year, as I did actually last year, a nudge for us on this day, on Pentecost Sunday, for that sense of just intentionally leaving room for what God wants to do. So I have a message that I've simply entitled The Gift or The Promise. And hopefully for many of us, if not all of us, this will be a reminder. But there is this reality that if there is a birthday for the church... It is this Sunday. It is Pentecost. What happened on that day cannot be overestimated, or the importance of it should be something that we are continually aware of and reminded of. So we're here some 2,000 years later celebrating a birthday. Find someone next to you and say, Happy birthday! Happy birthday. I did think one year maybe we could get, you know, a massive cake with 2,000 candles (laughs) and attempt not to set the house on fire, although maybe that would be a prophetic picture in and of itself, wouldn't it? (laughs) But it is our birthday, and I know there's mixed feelings with birthdays. Who loves birthdays? Is there any birthday lovers? Okay, quite a few people who love birthdays. Who goes out of their way to make sure nobody knows when it's your birthday? Nobody, there's one sort of sheepish hand, not sure if I should uh, admit to that. Most of us have this kind of love-hate relationships with birthdays, don't we, if we're honest, other than those who are particularly excited to put up their hand. But birthdays are important and birthdays reveal much, not just your age, but there's a sense in, even in the natural, as you think about your birthday, it reveals who you are in some sense, your heritage, it reveals where you're from, it reveals aspects of your nature, and it is no coincidence that on the birth of the church, something very significant, which is just as applicable for us 2,000 years later, as we have another birthday, as we get a year older, and as we think back to what happened There's two realities in particular that I want us to grab a hold of. But if you've got your Bibles, let's read the story. Hopefully, a very familiar passage recorded in Acts chapter 2. It says this, verse 1 When the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, the ESV doesn't quite do justice to this particular word. Some translations say when the day of Pentecost had fully come. But this is more than just when the day of Pentecost was there. Now, the calendar's ticked over. The the essence of the word, the passion behind the word is when it was the fully appointed time of the Lord. Scripture said he's the God who appoints times and seasons. So when the day of Pentecost was fully arrived, when it was in the fullness of of God's appointed time, his ordained moment. And remember, he told his disciples, Luke 24, verse 44 to 49, very clearly he said, wait. He'd accomplished his mission, he'd come, he'd died upon the cross, he'd even commissioned them, but he said, don't do anything, wait. Tarry, learn to tarry, learn to wait. Do not do a thing until you are clothed with power from on high. So when the day of Pentecost had fully arrived, the appointed moment of the Lord, they were all together in one place, being the disciples. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues, divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If you read on, people from everywhere are bewildered as they hear the glory and the proclamation of the gospel in their own tongue. Verse 14, Peter in the midst, it says, Standing with the eleven, he lifted up his voice and addressed them, being the crowds that had gathered. They heard this sound that seemed to just reverberate through the neighborhood, the mighty rushing wind they'd seen. All this crazy stuff happening. And Peter says this, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares. I love the strength of this. It shall be, God declares That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days. I'll pour out my spirit. They shall prophesy. And I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth beneath. Blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he goes on to preach this eloquent sermon about Jesus, whom they had crucified. If you skip down to verse 37, there's a response from the people. It says they were cut to the heart. And they say, "What, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive. I have that underlined. I have that scratched in. It's barely legible. You will. I love the certainty of this reality. Repent, be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will. That's his desire. It's his delight. And who is he talking to specifically? Verse 39, for this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. Nudge the person next to you and say, that's you. You were a long way away in every sense of that word. And all who were afar off, everyone, just in case there was any sense of misinterpreting what he's saying, everyone. Last time I checked, that includes everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. And he continues with his message. For you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of God. So, okay, nice story. What does that mean for us? In this appointed, ordained moment, God pours out his spirit. Peter delivers this sermon. He says, this is the promise. Repent from your sins. Be baptized and you will receive this gift. Not tainted in any way. Not, well, you know, it's going to diminish over generations. By the time they get to the year 2019, it's really just a a very sanitized version. He says, no, you will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit of God. This promise is for us. I would go as far as to say, this is our birthright. There's no coincidence here. This is God's great gift, and it's our great need. So there's two aspects very quickly. One is this is a promise of his presence. And the second, I'll give them both up front, it's a promise of his power. It's a promise of his presence, and it's a promise of his power. And yes, this day was unique purely for the church age. As I said, it really was the birth of The church and its explosion and expansion, the gospel message being proclaimed throughout the known world. But in many ways, this was a fulfillment of something that we see all the way through scripture. And that is a reality of a God who desires a people who know his presence. He is a personal God right from the beginning. Think of the Garden of Eden, there's Adam and Eve, he's created them, they live in perfection, they have everything that they could ever want and they live obviously in the omnipresence of God and yet still as we read the account of Genesis, there is God personally interacting with them, he's naming the animals, he's talking to Adam about we're going to make you a wife and then it also indicates that God would meet with them in the cool of the evening It was never enough just for them to enjoy his benefits, to have everything provided that they could ever need. It was always his heart that he would come personally to meet with his people. Even when everything went wrong, when it all went south, when Adam and Eve mess up royally, what's the first thing that God does? He comes to seek them out. He had every need, you know, Every desire to go, here's another one of those, you know, fire from heaven moments, we're gonna start again, we're just gonna wipe out the planet and But no, he says he was there in the garden. He's calling out, Adam, Eve, where are you? He's looking for them. What have you done? And of course they blame each other, they go through that whole cycle, it was her fault, it was this person's fault, it's the way I made, I can't help it. And even though they're excusing, they're blaming, they're doing everything that None of us, of course, ever do. It says he makes garments. He demonstrates that through the shedding of blood, their sin will be covered. And in his mercy, he banishes them from the garden. We all know the story. Until the time where he would come himself to permanently deal with the separation that sin had caused. See, there's this personal God. And then we look at the nation Israel. Israel. He delivered his people. He supernaturally brought them out of Egypt, signs, wonders, miracles. He met with them on the mountain. But, you know, it was, it was never enough for them just to know his benefits, just to have been set free. It says that God dwelled in the tabernacle. He says, no, this is not enough. I want to dwell in the midst of my people. Moses met with him face to face. Wasn't just enough to provide. And then if we fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus says prior to the outpouring of Pentecost, he says, it's actually good that I go away, because if I go away, I will send you another, and he will be with you, even to the end of the age. Wasn't even enough just for him to come. And to hang upon the cross and then just to leave us to our own devices. I mean, that would have been more than enough for me. But for him, he said, no, here's what's going to happen. My presence will be with you. It will be with you. My presence will be with you to the end of the age. It's all through the New Testament. John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you. He'll bring things to your remembrance. John 16, verse 12. He will guide you into all truth. John 16, 7 and 15. It says He will convict of sin and righteousness. Romans 5.5, 5, His love will be poured out through the Holy Spirit. Romans 15.13, through the Holy Spirit's power, we will abound in hope again and again and again. Here's this encouragement. Here's this reality of a God who says, I want you to know My presence. Of course, Ephesians 5.18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled And it's continual, be continually filled. You know, there's one form of greediness, I believe, that you could argue a case for biblically. And that's for the infilling of His presence. Now, we can seek His presence for the wrong reasons so that we look good or anything else. But never once have my children come to me and said, Daddy, we just want want more of your love. We want more... I mean, that blesses my heart more than anything else. Jesus says that. He says, how many of you earthly imperfect fathers, if your kids come asking, you're going to give them a scorpion or a stone or... No. He said, even more so, the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. That's his delight. That's his desire. The problem so often is that we begin, like the Israelites did, with this invitation to encounter and we end with religion. We move from relationship, from the person and the reality of God, to simply principles and rules. This is a reminder and should be always a reminder of our great need and his great promise that he's a God of presence. He says, I'm with you, and I will be with you, even to the end of the age, very quickly. So that's the promise of His presence. He has saved you. He has washed you clean. But there's so much more He's saying, but I want to be with you. I want to comfort you. I want to lift you up. I want to fill your heart with hope. I want you to be continually filled with my presence. So Aware of the God of presence. Number two, it's a promise of His power. I mentioned before Acts 1 4, Jesus says, Wait until you receive power from on high. Not once in scriptures do we see any indication that God has ever said, remember this, I've done my bit, and now this is all up to you. This is all on your head. This is all on your shoulders. Good luck. Let me know how you go. I'll see you the other side of eternity. See, there is this constant reality from the very beginning of God commissioning the birth of the church. You cannot get away from it of him saying, just remember, this is never about what you can do or ever could do. This is always about and it always will be about what I can do in you and through you. That's the glorious message of the gospel. And yet it's one that we get wrong more than any other. And I'll put my hand up to say, I get this wrong all the time. That somehow I make this all about me. He's done his bit. And now it's up to me just to struggle and strive in my own strength. It's about all the religious duties that I can add to what he's done, reading my Bible and fasting and praying, not that there's anything wrong with any of those things. But I've discovered that so often the greatest hindrance to the advance of the glory of God in my life and in the church is trying to do the work of God without The power of God. Always looking for the latest strategies, the latest books, the latest teaching, the latest advice, the latest fill-in-the-blank and forgetting the one thing that we need more than any other and that is to be reliant and dependent upon his power. The story of uh, Thomas Aquinas, a famous saint from the 13th century. He once had a meeting with Pope Innocent II. I'm told it's a true story. I'm not sure if anyone's alive to verify that reality. But he met with the Pope when the latter was counting out a large sum of money and showing St. Thomas the riches that surrounded him. And the Pope said, You see, Thomas, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. True Holy Father was the reply, but neither can she now say, Rise up and walk. Isn't that a good kind of ouchie moment? Maybe it's not wealth and riches. Maybe it's our intellect and wisdom. Yes, but look at us. We're no longer simple fishermen. We have wisdom. We have Google. We have every form of information at our fingertips. We're wise. We've got theologies and philosophies. More than we could count. Libraries full of them. Yes, we're no longer simple fishermen. But are our shadows still raising people from the dead? You know, there's, there is this sense. When John the Baptist, he's in this moment of doubt. Matthew 11, the other gospels proclaim. And he's struggling. He's in prison. He sends some of his followers and says, Go and ask Jesus, are you the one? Or shall we look for another And as Matthew recounts it, he says to the disciples, well, just just come here, just come here. And go back and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. Grab that distinction, what you've seen and what you've heard. And specifically, he says, and this is what it is, that the lame walk, that the blind see, that the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He's saying, how do we know if the kingdom is come? What's what's it going to look like? Is it the size of our buildings? Is it the level of our offerings? The number of attendees? Is it the effectiveness of our programs into the community? What's the measure? See, I think there's something in this for us. And I would say the same is very true today. How do we know? proclamation and demonstration are the lame walking of the blind seeing of the lepers cleansed the deaf hear the dead raised and the good news proclaimed to the poor i remember it was about um i'll finish with this Could we get the worship team actually to come out again that'd be great they could set up to finish in a song I remember it was about um three years ago it was the end of uh, 2016 coming into 2017 and I was just seeking the Lord about his heart for the new year saying God what what is it that you're doing in the life of the church where is it that we're at what is the season and this doesn't often happen but I was lying there in my bed and I woke up and I knew exactly what time it was because I looked at the clock it was 3:48 in the morning I thought great and Normally, if I wake up at that time, I don't know if anyone else is like this, but I am not alert. You know, I, I'm half asleep, I'm groggy. Um, anyway, I knew this was different. So I woke up 3.48 in the morning, and instantly in that moment, the Lord just nudged, nudged my heart and said, you need to read Acts 3, verse 4 to 8. Again, that's not normally the way that the Lord would speak to me. So I knew that it was him. Acts 3, 4 to 8. I thought, what is that passage? Just, just quickly turn there. I want to read it. And then we're going to just see what the Lord wants to do. This, of course, is the story where it says Peter and John were going to the temple and there's a blind beggar. Oh, sorry, not a blind beggar, just a lame beggar who's asking for alms. And I love verse 4, it says so clearly, it says here, Peter directed his gaze at him. What a wonderful description. You see them walking past and it just Peter just looks him directly in the eyes. And I'm sure the beggar's looking back thinking, well, what, what's he going to give me? Is he going to give me money? That's what he's asking for. There's no indication that he asked for anything else. But it says, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood and began to walk, entered the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And as I read that passage, this is what the Lord really impressed upon my heart. And I bring it because this is what was stirred in my spirit this week. That for too long, the church has come across circumstances like that. And our first response has been, well, how about we find some nice words of encouragement? Now, can I sit down with you? Can I love you a little? And that's wonderful. That's nothing wrong with that. Or maybe in other circumstances, the church would come alongside the beggar and say, well, let's take up an offering. Let's see if we can meet some physical needs. Can we raise some money? Can we establish an organization to look after the, the lame beggars that sit at the temple gate? Again, nothing wrong with that. I think that is a wonderful thing and worthy of our attention. But there's something more. See, the gospel came not just to give nice words of encouragement to people, not just to help physical needs as important as they are, But Peter grabbed a hold of something more. He said, no, this is a moment of the demonstration of the power of the name of Jesus. And in that moment, the Lord stirred my heart and he said, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a people who grab a hold of the power of gospel, the power of the name of Jesus, who will look directly into a circumstance and situation. Looking for a people who will not just proclaim the gospel, who will demonstrate that the world would say, how do we know that this is real? And we could say, well, this is how, Just, just come and see. This is how you know. The lame walk and the blind see. The lepers are cleansed. The dead are raised. And the gospel, the good news of the gospel, is preached to the poor. That's how we know. And that every time as I reflect upon Pentecost is the thing that stirs in my heart. That He has gone out of His way to demonstrate that He's a God of presence. He's with us. But that He is a God of power. And will we be a people today who recognize our great need of His great gift. Let's stand up. I'd love to just finish with a a song of worship. And not just a song of worship, but just a song of the heart cry of a people. A recognition of our dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit, our birthright. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you want to worship and just join with me in that way, that's great. But if you're here this morning and you just know that you need a fresh touch from the Lord. We talked about it before, that's His invitation. He is a loving Heavenly Father. If you need, come and ask. It's His desire to give freely the Holy Spirit the one who will comfort, the one who will lift you up, the one who will cause hope to be poured into your heart. If you're down, if you're discouraged, if you're depressed, there's stuff hanging around, you're in the right place. Not because there's anything special about the prayer team, but because the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is present today to heal and to save and to fill us afresh with his holy spirit so can we get the the prayer team just to come forward i'm not going to pray for people myself this morning i've got a cold if you didn't pick that up and that would be a whole different anointing i think that you probably don't want to take with you but i want to release the prayer team just as we enter into this last song of worship and if you need a fresh touch from the lord that's the altar call this morning. Of course, if there's any other need, you can come forward. If you're in need of physical healing, if you're in need of breakthrough, these people here would love to pray for you. And I can't think of a better Sunday than our birthday to celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we just give you room today. Come and do what you desire to do. Come and move amongst your people. We pray that there would be a fresh season of Pentecost, of your spirit so poured out in power that the world would come with wonder and say, well, we know this is the the kingdom, this is the rule and the reign of the King of Kings because the lame is walking and the blind are hearing and the deaf are seeing and the other way around too and the dead are raised again and the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, that Jesus came, is being proclaimed. Lord, that's what we want. That's what we're seeking. That's what we desire. Even this morning, let it come. Come and do what you desire to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's enter into worship. And if you want prayer, just come forward. Now's the time.